This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 53, The Killdozer. Well, hello again, everyone. It's time for another Incredible Stories podcast. I'm Josh Virla, your inextirpable host. And thanks for being here. Don't forget to give us that five-star rating on iTunes, and feel free to send me a haiku on whatever, either a past topic or something fun. I'll read it in an episode. Just send it to contact at IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. And remember to share the show if you like it. Even if you don't like it, share it anyways. Maybe someone else will like it. And I hope you will like this episode where we will be talking about the Killdozer. What is a Killdozer? Well, it was a modified bulldozer that was made by a man who held certain grievances with the government of the small Colorado town of Granby. This man took his makeshift tank and went on a rampage in late spring in 2004 that would leave a path of destruction and divide people's thoughts on whether the man named Marvin Hemeyer was a folk hero or a terrorist. Here's what I know. Marvin was born in 1951 in South Dakota, and it doesn't seem he had anything unusual in his upbringing. His father served in World War II, and Marvin himself was an Air Force veteran. And, according to family members, he wasn't some anti-government vigilante hell-bent on the downfall of structure. A citizen in good standing, he paid his taxes and was by all accounts just a proud American as many people are. After being stationed in Colorado in the 70s and getting out of the service, he decided to move from his home state of South Dakota and plant roots in Colorado. By the early 90s, Marvin had a fairly successful muffler shop, and he expanded that success by opening several more in the area. But he wanted to be even more attuned to the mountains, and so he decided that he would move to Grand Lake, Colorado, about 15 miles or so from Granby, which itself is about 100 miles west of Boulder, Colorado. Okay, to give you an idea, Grand Lake has a population of just about 495 people according to the 2010 census. So for work, Marvin set up shop in the way more metropolis-feeling city of Granby, which boasted the huge population of about 1,500 people. So, Marvin leased out his other muffler shops in the Boulder area so he could open his Mountain View muffler shop in Granby in 1992. He enjoyed the Colorado rugged lifestyle of mountain manning and had a close circle of friends. He was involved in the community's politics and had a fairly active civic participation. In fact, in 1994, he put a lot of energy into supporting the legalization of gambling in Grand Lake and even went so far as to publish two issues of a newspaper to promote his side of the campaign. Now, apparently, Marvin was very passionate about this subject. And let's be honest, many people get this way when it comes to politics. But at some point, a Grand Lake reporter named C.C. Cruson took the opposing side to the gambling issue, and the two of them almost had a good old-fashioned bout of fisticuffs. You see, C.C. accused Marvin of being more or less paid by the gambling industry to tout their point of view. And, well, of course, Marvin took offense to this and called C.C. a liar. C.C. eventually backed down because, well... 
Marvin was a pretty imposing figure, standing at 6'4", 230 pounds, so I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to get into it with a dude that big either. Hey, I'm fragile, what can I say? Okay, so the gambling measure didn't pass, and Marvin settled down for a bit, living his life, being good at muffler repair and whatnot, until in 2000, he was sparked to get politically active again. This time, he took issue with a concrete batch plant that wanted to relocate next to his muffler shop on the outskirts of Granby. But let's back up a few years first. Enter into the scene the Doshev family in 1992-ish. The Doshev family was interested in Marvin's land because they wanted to build a concrete plant and they offered Marvin $250,000 for two acres of property. Not a bad deal, considering Marvin initially got the land for a much lower price from the Resolution Trust Corporation, which was a federal government-owned asset management company that was in charge of liquidating assets that were owned by the Savings and Loan Associations after their collapse in the 80s. And I won't get into the S&L collapse, but it was a whole thing. Needless to say, Marvin's purchase of the land was a good deal. Anyway, Marvin initially agreed to selling the land for $250,000, but later changed his mind and said he would sell for $375,000, then later even up that to $1 million. And yes, I did the pinky thing, like Dr. Evil. Well, clearly there was no deal on these terms, and I couldn't find what years these offers were made, but it was in the 90s. Okay, now back to 2000. The town of Granby began to debate a zoning issue, and the issue was, would the town allow the concrete plant to relocate next to Marvin's muffler shop on the fringe of the town? Uh-oh. As you can imagine, this would upset Marvin and other residents too, but because of the proposed relocation next to his muffler shop, Marvin would assume the lead role in this dispute. His arguments were that the relocation would make his working environment dusty, noisy, and add traffic, all of which would decrease the value of his property and ultimately hurt his business. Petitions were signed and debate went on for about a year. But ultimately, the town board ruled that Dochev Concrete Plant could relocate next to Marvin's muffler shop in 2001. Marvin filed a lawsuit trying to stop the construction, arguing that the plant would block the only access road to his muffler shop. He lost this appeal, though. Now, these next few parts, I had a little trouble verifying just exactly what went down. Some sources said he petitioned to construct a new access road and bought equipment so he could do it himself. However, the town denied this seemingly reasonable request. Also, some sources say that the construction of the new plant cut off his sewer line, putting him in code violation, and when he offered to put in a new line, the city denied this request too. I think building the new sewer line would have required him to run through 8 feet of the concrete plant's property, and I'm sure they didn't want to play ball with him either. To note, I couldn't verify all that, but what is for sure is that Granby fined Marvin $2,500 for keeping junky cars on his property and failing to connect to the city sewer line. Rather, this was on his refusing to do so or denied permits, I'm not sure. But I do know that Marvin paid the fine and sent in a check for the amount owed with the words cowards written in the memo line, which I think is hilarious. 
Okay, so at this time, some people think the city council or members of it were being bribed in some way by the concrete plant, but there hasn't been any real evidence of this. But by now you can imagine Marvin has had a lot of defeats to local governments, and the zoning disputes pushed him to the edge. In 2003, he sold his two muffler shops and a 200 square foot metal building that was located between his muffler shop and the Dochef plant. However, he leased that metal building from the new owners for six months, which would put his move-out date as June 1st, 2004. Now, the sales may have been because Marvin couldn't get the permits needed to put the sewer lines in, thus forcing him out of business. But again, I'm not sure if the city flat out wouldn't allow him to build the sewer line, or he just decided not to connect to the sewer line on his own accord. Hey, remember that road building equipment I mentioned earlier that he bought? Well, in 2002, he had purchased a Komatsu D355A bulldozer, which he would have used to make roads to his muffler shop. Let's discuss this bulldozer for a second. It's a big piece of equipment, weighing in at almost 100,000 pounds and was nearly 30 feet long. It had 410 horsepower and could reach a max speed of about 8 miles per hour. This would be his revenge chariot. Over the next year and a half after purchase and after leasing that metal building, Marvin began making modifications to his bulldozer. He worked at night so that no one would notice what he was doing. What kind of modifications did he make? Well, I'm glad you asked. Remember, Marvin was an expert welder and gave the bulldozer an armored shell weighing about 30 tons. This shell covered some of its tracks, its engine, and the cabin. Okay, so this shell had three parts to it. It was made from two half-inch plates of steel that sandwiched concrete. And I believe the gaps were also filled with bonded plexiglass, making this a composite armor which basically was bulletproof and could easily withstand rifles and small arms fire. Marvin also added to this bulldozer video cameras protected by 3-inch thick bulletproof plastic. These cameras let him see what was going on outside his hulking behemoth on three monitor displays that were mounted inside the cabin. He also had a system mounted near the cameras that would blast the cameras with jets of air in order to clear away debris and dust from the lenses. That's pretty savvy. Now, you can imagine the inside of his cabin might get a bit sweltering. No worries, Marvin took this into account and hooked up a pretty fancy air filtration and AC system to help circulate air. But to make this a true tank, he needed offensive weapons. So he added a 50 caliber semi-automatic rifle in the back of the bulldozer, and he also mounted two smaller rifles pointing out the front and right side of his cabin. He also had two sidearms that he could also fire from inside the cabin, a 357 Magnum and a 9mm. Looks like this bad boy is ready for a test spin. But let's back up a little bit again. Perhaps another layer to this disappointment onion that was Marvin's life was the fact that his father had died on March 26, 2004. We don't know how far along in the tank building process he was at the time that his father died, but added grief surely sealed his decision down the path that he was about to take. He had attended his father's funeral in South Dakota, and his sister-in-law Cindy noted, quote, He always gave me a hug, 
but this was a different kind of hug. He said he'd better take a last look at the place, and he wasn't sure if he'd be back for the June auction of Dad's stuff. Unquote. And then Cindy's husband, Ken Hemeyer, who was Marvin's brother, dismissed his older brother's odd comment saying, quote, Oh yeah, sure, you'll be back. Unquote. And then Cindy recalls Marv, quote, turned and looked at us and drove real slow out of the driveway. It was a little different type of goodbye. Obviously, he had made some decisions. Unquote. For reference, those are quotes from an LA Times article written about this event in 2004. Okay, back to Marvin in 2004, and we have just completed the modifications to the bulldozer, aka the killdozer, so named because of its badassness. And I'll put some links to photos and videos in the show notes so you can see this thing. It's pretty impressive. So now it's June 4th. His lease had just recently expired, and the time is about 2 p.m.-ish. And Marvin had just finished greasing up the exterior of his killdozer, then climbs in, bolting shut a very heavy metal hatch, making it almost impossible for him to get back out or for anyone to get in. He then starts up the beast and busts out of the metal building which he had been building this war machine in. I mean, it's right out of the scene of an action movie. That had to be kind of fun plowing through the wall of your former business out into the street revealing a crazy modified tank you just completed. I mean, what kid doesn't dream of doing that? I mean, I know I'd love to do that even now. But perhaps if it ended there, it wouldn't be such an interesting story. Remember, Marvin had a lot of grudges against the town, namely the city officials, and he wasted no time serving up his revenge. He drove his lumbering tank, obviously, to the nearby concrete plant first. He took out their admin building and then tore into the side of the plant. Now at this point, the killdozer was probably only moving at about 5 miles per hour due to all the armor, but it made easy work of anything in its path. At this point, Cody Dochef, owner of the plant, said, Oh, hell no, and got into his own heavy equipment vehicle to try and stop the thing. But the killdozer just bitch slapped it away like a fly. Marvin then headed to the workplace of a former town board member who was also on the town planning commission. This building was a local electric company, and Marvin just destroyed much of that building. Okay, so now the police were out and trying to stop this rampage but found that their bullets were ineffective against the armor of the killdozer. So they could do little other than just follow it and try to evacuate people in its path while making futile attempts to stop it. Oh, an interesting side note, the police used a system known as the reverse 911 system. Have you guys heard of this thing? I was unaware of it. But essentially, it is a public safety communication system used to alert citizens of public safety issues. But for it to work, you have to register your phone number in a database and also your home address. This information is used to send specific alerts based on where you live to communicate emergency information. So the police use this system to send recorded warnings to residents to get the heck out of the buildings that the killdozer was headed toward. Okay, so other targets of the killdozer include a bank, a library, the police department, and town hall. They were all targets of Marvin, along with houses and cars. 
And the reason these places were targeted is because Marvin thought all these businesses or people connected to the buildings had a hand in slighting him during his zoning dispute. And so deep was his grudge that he even bulldozed the house of Thelma Thompson, the 82-year-old widow of the former mayor who had been the mayor when his grievances with the town began. That mayor had also died three years earlier, but Marvin knew that he knew what he did. So the police exchanged gunfire with the tank, and of course their bullets did nothing but ricochet. They attempted heavier weapons and grenades, but Marvin had built this thing very well, and the small town police were underarmed to deal with it. So the Denver SWAT team was called in to help because nothing was stopping the tank. But as Denver was over an hour away, they wouldn't get there until after it was over. Meanwhile, it was reported that Marvin even tried to take aim at a propane company's tanks, trying to cause them to explode. However, he was unable to cause any damage this way, which is probably fortunate. No worries, there is plenty of other things to damage out there, and Marvin headed to a hardware store next that was owned by a member of the town board of trustees who had approved the concrete plant rezoning issue, and Marvin did some damage there. At this point, the Killdozer's radio had blown and was losing power but the machine still had plenty of damage to do until the floor in the hardware store collapsed, leaving the killdozer unable to climb out of its basement. A gunshot was heard, and it was apparent that Marvin had taken his own life. But remember that greased-up exterior? Well, it made it hard for police to get into his vehicle. Now, by the time this had happened, the SWAT team was in place. But they didn't fully grasp the amount of armor this thing had, so they had to call in the bomb squad, and because of the armor, it took them three explosive charges and about an hour's worth of acetylene torch use to get into the cabin where they saw Marvin dead from a gunshot to the head. But at this point, they were still scared of the possible booby traps that Marvin may have set, so it took them another few hours to remove his body from the tank, which required the use of a crane. All in all, 13 buildings were destroyed and about $7 million in damages were done in the town over the course of 2 hours and 7 minutes. Miraculously though, no one except for Marvin was killed during the carnage. There were also rumors that if the SWAT team hadn't been able to take out the tank, then the National Guard was going to be called in to conduct an airstrike on the thing. But who's to say? And that's the story of the Killdozer. And now you know what I know. As you can imagine, Marvin's story got a lot of interest, and because he didn't actually kill anyone, a lot of people hold him up as some personification of what happens when the little guy gets fed up with government. Although, the counter is that people only didn't die because of luck. The police said that Marvin did fire shots, although detractors say the bullets that impacted around town were that of the police's own bullets that ricocheted off the killdozer. I'm not sure to these claims, and I'm definitely not supporting people going on a vigilante rampage through a town, taking out buildings, but on the other hand, I get it. I mean, Marvin may have snapped, and the local government may have been in the wrong or had a hand in pushing Marvin to the point of no return, but does that justify building a tank and taking matters into your own hand? No. And martyrs shouldn't be made from people who have what probably is actually a pretty normal zoning dispute across the USA. 
But again, I get it. And this story does have a certain Guy Foxian vibe to it, and I certainly understand why people see it as a giant middle finger to the government, and no one likes the use of a middle finger more than yours, truly. But you know, it is hard to predict or say what will make a person snap, but come on, dude terrorized his hometown over a zoning issue, albeit in a badass homemade tank, and now for something that never will terrorize you, the haiku! When it is all done, and buildings are laid to waste, tanks for memories. And that's all the time this week, guys. Check out our main site for other stories on IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Send me an email or haiku at contact at IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. Rate us on iTunes and peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh, and remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. Good.